0: Several years ago, a friend actually contacted my wife and I, Brittany, and asked if we could meet him and his wife for lunch. And uh, so we met, of course, and fellowshiped, but you know when you can tell something really serious is going on in someone else's life, body language shows it, there's a certain tone they're speaking with. And we, of course, could tell there was something going on with them. And they would then proceed to tell us that the pregnancy that we had been celebrating with them had some complications. And this young 21-year-old woman who was looking forward to her first child, her baby boy, would learn that the likelihood of his survival was next to none. And so grief and worry were over their faces. Now, they knew, uh, however, that this was in God's plan for them to endure and that they had made a decision that they would trust him regardless of the results. And so we prayed and we pleaded with God for this child. And we also grieved with them when that baby would be born a stillbirth later. I believe the death of a child is one of the greatest agonies possible in this life. A future not realized, a piece of ourselves buried, a period before the end of a sentence is probably the greatest fear in the heart of every parent, I know at least, that they would have to bury their own children. And it is in this context, church, that we encounter Jesus this morning in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. I want to draw your attention to verses 11 and 12 now. It says this, Afterward, he, meaning Jesus, was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him, and just as he neared the gate... Of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was also with her. Last week, Pastor Stephen exposited verses 1 through 10 of Luke chapter 7, the healing of the centurion's servant, which took place in the town of Capernaum. And one of the things the text points out about the centurion specifically is his faith. Luke said it was great. And Jesus healed the body of this servant. But the context here in verses 11 through 17 of the town of Nain are vastly different. In Nain, there is only grief. There is pain from both a woman in a town. What we know about Nain and Capernaum is that it would have taken Jesus about a day's journey to get to Nain. It's about 25 miles away from Capernaum. And so the text says that he neared the gate of the town and he came upon the city filled with sorrow. And I got to thinking, what, is, what would it have looked like for Jesus to come into the city gate and see? So much grief. So, you know, get on Google. This is a picture of people in Israel who are mourning the death of a young man who died tragically and unexpectedly, uh, trampled to death, actually. And if you could see the picture more clearly, you can see so much grief on these different men in the crowd, their faces crying over this. This death, this coffin that's open-faced and the body laying in it. And so I, I can't help but to wonder when Jesus approached this gate in name what he must have seen is a sea of sadness and sorrow. But Jesus saw much more than that as we will look at in the story. But here's what I want us to take away as we enter the text this morning. And it is a constant truth about our Messiah that we must hold dear and deep in our hearts. And it's this, that in the midst of grief and sorrow, Jesus shows up both compassionately and in power to minister to the brokenhearted and the needy. Because Jesus is the Lord of compassion. Look at verses 13 and 14. It says this, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearers stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. What makes this scene all the more powerful is what Luke says about the grieving mother. He points out that, number one, she's just lost her only son. And number two, that she was a widow. Historically, the context for this woman In this circumstance would have been the worst possible scenario for her. Essentially, what we learn from these facts is that she would have no one to take care of her, no one to provide. Her physical needs from here on out would be one of just struggling to survive. But Jesus, rich in mercy, full of compassion, the text says, saw her. Everybody say saw her. He sees the mother. He sees her broken spirit. He knows her heart, her pain, her needs. He sees a past in her that says dead husband, a present in her that says dead son, a future that says an empty struggle for a useless life. But unlike the centurion, it is not her faith that he sees, but her grief, her brokenness which tells us much about the heart of Christ, doesn't it? It tells us that he sees you. He sees me. I don't know the current reality of which you struggle with. I don't know the brokenness in your life, the broken home you may come from, the the encounter maybe you're struggling through, maybe divorcing or not divorcing, the struggle of your kids or losing kids or I don't know the trauma you experienced as a child, as an adult, in a combat zone. I don't know. But what I do know is that Jesus sees you, and he has a heart of compassion for you. Kent Hughes, a pastor and theologian, has said that Jesus' heart went out to this widow in unmitigated compassion, In fact, Luke uses the strongest word here possible to describe Jesus' pity. The root word from which compassion comes from describes what is going on inside his body. It describes an emotion that has a physical effect. So what Luke is portraying here is that Jesus quite literally felt for her. And when we suffer and when we grieve, he quite literally feels for us. It strikes a chord with his heart. He loves you deeply, and it moves him physically towards feeling for you. He doesn't just feel, right? He also does. We'll get to that in a little bit. But he literally feels for this woman he felt for this poor, brokenhearted widow. And of course he did. It's the nature of God. It's who God is. Psalm 68.5 says that a father to the fatherless and the protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. It's the very place that he resides in the midst, presence, present in our suffering, in it with us full of compassion. So this week, Stephen shared with me a thought that one of our church members had about this text. I didn't, I didn't embarrass him last service. So I'll leave it vague. Do it this service too. But I thought the thought was very interesting. He said that it, it almost seems like Jesus is like looking forward into the future. Like knowing his own mom, Mary would one day see her son carried out to a tomb, longing for her son to arise from the dead. And so when Jesus looks upon this woman, knowing everything exhaustively, you have this beautiful picture, this movement towards compassion he has for her. It's on this backdrop that Jesus then speaks to her. And what does he say? Verse 13. It says, he told the woman, don't weep. Now, what he is not saying is suppress your emotions, right? Or if you're a southern father, suck it up, buttercup. So my dad would say, probably. That's not what Jesus is doing. Rather, Jesus is caring very deeply for her in this statement, alluding to a supernatural event. That is about to take place in a moment. It's almost like he walks up to the woman and says, don't weep. I have this. You can trust in me. And then he turns and engages the dead man, right? He says, don't weep because he knows the power that is in him. It's not an empty statement, but a hopeful one. That when we understand the power of Christ and what he is able to do, we can rest in the knowledge that he has it. He is good. He is sovereign. He is full of power. That doesn't mean we always have the result we long for. But what it does mean is that he is present with you and knows the 10th, 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th order effects that's coming after that we can't see. And so we can trust in him. But in this case, Jesus says, don't weep because he's about to do something miraculous here. He walks over to the coffin and he touches what no one else would touch. You know, Jewish law says that if you touch a dead thing or dead man, you will become unclean. You will be polluted. And the only way to get clean after that would be to go through different ceremonial laws. Okay. But what Jesus knows is that what God requires is mercy above sacrifice. The law requires mercy above sacrifice. I think one of the most vivid pictures of this for me is in Hosea 6, 6, where God says that he desires a steadfast love and not sacrifice, a burnt, or uh, the knowledge of God and not burnt offerings. And so Jesus touches the man and calls him to get up. It's like, like life and death have come face to face with one another. A dead man and someone who says they have power over life and death. And the question is, who really has the power, Right? Dear Christian, Jesus is Lord of power. Look at what happens next in verses 15 through 17. It says, the dead man sat up and began to speak. Could you imagine that for a second? I mean, this guy's dead, right? How much speaking are dead people doing? Not a lot. Some little girl said, zombies speak. And we had a quick conversation About They more growl, right? They don't really speak. But anyway, the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen amongst us. God has visited his people. It says this report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. What happened was the dead man heard the words of Christ and obeyed Christ. John 5.24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in the one who sent me will not go into judgment, but will pass from death unto life. Now Jesus in 524 of John is talking about this supernatural thing, right? When you hear me and you respond in faith and repentance, I will not condemn you, but will free you, will call you to life based on my work, not on yours. But here we get a vivid, physical picture of the very same thing. Jesus looking on this dead man in a coffin, saying, get up. The man hearing and obeying And getting up. It's a beautiful picture of what happens and has happened in the life and heart of every believer who is here. Who is walking around. Who has believed in Jesus and is dead today. They got back up. He got up and was given by Christ back to his mother. Now what a beautiful picture of compassion and power. We have of Jesus in this text. But look at how the crowd of people responded in the town of Nain. It says, fear came over everyone. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people. Now their response to this event is very much so in step with all the stories they have heard from the past. Growing up as a Jewish Child. What do I mean by that? Well, in first Kings chapter 17, we have a, a story of the prophet Elijah, where he had gone to this small town and met a widow at the gate, whose son had become ill and died. And Elijah would lay over the boy while crying out to God three times until the boy would rise again from the dead. Elijah would then deliver the boy, the text says, back to his mother. But what Luke, I think, is trying to do here is he's trying to parallel and show how Elijah is this picture of what Jesus would be. He uses the exact same phrase in the Greek for Jesus giving the boy back to his mother as is in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Luke would have had for Elijah giving the boy back to his mother. And so he, there's this continuity in the scriptures going on here, right? And the people of Nain, without further revelation from God, right, at, figured out at least, like at the least, God has sent us a prophet like Elijah that he had come and visited his people and that they had seen with their own eyes a miracle today. And so they feared and they glorified God. The Lord and his goodness, as well as the Lord and his greatness are to be feared. When we experience the compassion and the power of Christ, our response, what should stir up in our hearts is worship glory to God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our might. Glory to God And how we treat one another. How we love our neighbor as ourselves. And the people of Nain supposed a great prophet had now come. But Jesus, church, is far more than a great prophet, is he not? No. Jesus, by his word, raised this man by the, from the dead. Jesus, by his word, is the giver of life, the conqueror of death, the great victor over sin and shame, the only hope that we have for salvation and life, where sin and death are the tools of the enemy to destroy. Compassion and power are the tools of Jesus to give an abundant life. We see in John 10.10, Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life, And have it more abundantly. And so how does Jesus give life an abundant life? He does so full of compassion and with the power to do so. The power to change your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. To breathe his spirit in you and change your very nature from dead to alive in Christ. Amen? This is the nature of our Savior that we must understand and take hold of. It's not in something that we can do, but in everything that He does. So let us give glory to Him, and let us respond accordingly. And the right response for the people of God is displayed ultimately in how we treat one another. Because how we treat one another is a reflection of our love for God. So in light of this beautiful story of who Christ is, what are we to do? I think there are two things that we can do in light of this text. Number one is to be compassionate. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says that God, He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I think... I think culture a lot of times uh, will tell you in your experiences, in your life, what you need to do is simply move on. Forget about all that stuff you went through. Put a period, turn the page, keep on moving, right? Or what's the keep on trucking, those hats? Remember those? I never had one. Praise God. But I don't think what God is calling us to do, Christian is to simply forget and move forward. I mean, he's not telling us, hey, go forward into the future, blindly trusting in my sovereignty. You say, I trust in God, I know he has a way, but I don't know because I'm not looking back. The way we move into the future as believers is we walk backwards, trusting in God's sovereignty. Why? Because we're looking at his providence in our lives how he has taken care of us, how he has sheltered us, comforted us. Don't forget, take inventory of your life. How have you suffered? How has Christ comforted you? Because he has led you through those experiences for the purpose of comfort and compassion that you can show towards others. I see this wonderful principle played out all the time, especially in uh, women who are dealing with barrenness. And I've watched them walk with one another, glorifying God, trusting in Him, regardless of how the, whatever results, but they're doing it together because what the enemy wants to do to you, person, is he wants you to believe that you are alone that you are isolated. And when we take inventory of our lives and we get kneecap to kneecap with each other and someone gets transparent and uncomfortable for a minute and tells you what they're struggling with and you say details are a little bit different but I understand the ground you're walking on because I've walked there too. Sometimes God uses... The fact that we're not alone as the very grease to free us of our shackles, to get out of our shackles. And what God calls us to do as Christians is to be compassionate with one another, to engage one another on a transparent level so that we can walk and endure this together, not in isolation, but in community. I see this often also with soldiers or veterans who reach out to their brothers and sisters and comfort them through the unique pain of war that they've experienced. And man, I could tell you story upon story about how God shakes these guys loose and breaks chains apart just from going, I know, but there's a great hope So not only are we to be compassionate with one another, but we're also to take one another to Christ, to bring others to the all-powerful, all-sufficient Christ. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The beauty of the church is that when one of us encounters hardship, encounters suffering, unbearable pain, is that we are a family bought by the blood of Christ. We're not unified based on where we grew up or what region we're in. We're unified by what Christ has done for the purpose of bringing each other to Him where He has power and for the purpose of bringing outsiders who are lost without hope to Christ to find hope. To find the one who can actually change the circumstance, who has power over life and death, he is our hope. So, church, please resolve, become resolute in bringing others to Jesus, because death is a reality for us all. Romans six twenty three says that it's the wage of our sin; it's death. You will die. It is the great consequence of rebellion against God and has been so since the fall we read about in Genesis chapter 3. And we must all die. And you say, Pastor, well, there's been scientific advancements in medicine. You know, we can get we can probably get a lot further out now, you know. No. (laughs) You will die. You will not live on forever regardless of how you feel today one day you will punch that card and be done but in Christ we can rise again amen we can live 1 Thessalonians four sixteen tells us that one day the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the archangel's voice it says With the trumpet of God blasting. And it says the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the day we look forward to. That's the day we proclaim to one another until it happens. But in the meantime, are you in Christ? Do you know him? Are you in him? If you are, encourage one another with this truth. And if you are not, do not be fooled. There is no other way to conquer death unless you have put your faith in Jesus, who is the Lord of compassion and power. Let us stand and pray.